This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. Hi, thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perning. Today on the download, the Federal Reserve representatives are moving towards ending the bond buying program that they have in place by mid-2022. This is a program that was instituted to help drive markets forward during the COVID recession of the past, call it year, year and a half. Uh, This essentially was the Federal Reserve moving towards buying U.S. Treasury bonds and bills to help uh, keep those markets moving forward. Now, this is kind of the last of the COVID stimulus uh, market support. So we'll kind of see where this goes with having the markets land on their feet, if there will be any type of correction. Now, this is one of those things that seems to drive inflation. Now, there are some concerns about that, although inflation has not risen to the level that some analysts think. Uh, the ending of this program will will really see just how bad inflation uh, can become after these after some of these measures are stopped and the markets get to stand on their feet for the first time in a while. Hopefully it doesn't move at too bad of a direction, but it is definitely a concern for people out there. Now also in the world of finance today, uh, we're going to be kind of sticking with a, a theme of looking at what the government doing. The debt limit uh, needs to be increased uh, in order to avoid a government shutdown by September 30th. Now, what essentially this means is that in order for the U.S. government to continue paying its bills, uh, we would need to borrow money. Now, currently, there is a limit set by the House and Senate for that. Now, the Senate needs 60 votes to advance the debt bill, which is highly unlikely that they will receive. Uh, They have a 50-vote simple majority, but in order for the debt ceiling limit to be increased, they would need to get at least 10 senators from across the aisle to come over to the Democrats, and it is widely believed that this will not happen. So the advancement of the debt limit spending bill uh, is widely believed to going to be dead once the uh, final votes are cast on that. Now, last week, we really covered in the download what was happening with the securities markets. Now, most of them have mainly rebounded from the shocks that they received last Monday, where we saw the Dow get hammered by 800 points. Most everything has rebounded, with the exception, notably, of tech. Tech is really still getting getting waxed out there. So it's kind of interesting to see, although some largely based tech companies are seeing quite an improvement in their share price, but it's uh, it's not as good as maybe some of the market indicators would would lead on. There are still some some tech companies out there that are really hurting. This has been the download. Today on the What Is, the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. It's important to understand inflation as it relates to buying power of the dollar, especially when we're looking at a few of the market drivers that we covered today in the download with the Federal Reserve moving their uh, 
their bond buying program to end by 2022. So it's important that we look at some of the things that measure this. Now, one great indicator is the consumer price index, the CPI. It's a weighted average of prices, a basket of consumer goods, such as transportation, food, and medical care. And it's calculated by taking the price changes of each item in the predetermined goods basket is what people call it and averaging them together. So it's looking at seeing how much your dollar can buy you from a fixed point of goods. Now, the most frequently used statistic for identifying periods of inflation or deflation is the consumer pro- consumer price index. So it's a good thing to understand if you hear people talking about the CPI, they're referring to the, to the consumer price index, which is a weighted average of a price of normally consumed goods for American households. This has been The Download. Thank you for joining us today on this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Today, we're going to take a special edition look at the Build Back Better agenda, which is the Large Tax Reconciliation Act, which is currently being debated in the House Ways and Means Committee. I have our Director of Business Development here with us today, Scott Maurer. Thanks for being with us. Alex, great to be here. Uh, one of, look at this, this bill has really kind of come out of nowhere, I think, and, and surprised a lot of people in our industry. And so, you know, I think in the, in the podcast that we really want to just get across some of the main provisions uh, of the bill, things that you know, our clients, contacts, people who are, are looking at alternative investing need to be aware of. Uh, and then more, most importantly, I think at the end is, is really how to act and, and how to fight back against uh, kind of this, this overreach that we feel uh, with this particular bill. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some really troubling things in here that are, that are really kind of tacked on that uh, most people, you know, if you don't kind of pay attention to this, will get you know, more or less just not looked at by the general public and can really have an effect all the way down to, you know, John and Jane Doe taxpayer. It's, it's really kind of troubling. So maybe give us a little bit of intro to this. Um, uh, you know, what are some general provisions? Uh, then we'll kind of dig into some of the more, uh, more fine detail of this for people. Yeah. And I think Alex, you hit the nail on the head there when you're, when we're talking about kind of the things that get slipped in the bill, right? There's always the headline catchers and some of the, the general provisions in this bill, you'll hear a lot. Uh, in the media or hear from the congressmen and, and senators who are talking about the bill when you talk you know, about what what you know raising the corporate tax rate or or potentially raising uh, income tax rates on high earners. Um, you know, th- those are some of the, the big tax provisions that are that are being debated about uh, the step up in basis uh, requirement, you know, limitation or or elimination of that. Uh, that's getting talked about as far as the taxes. And of course this bill, um, we'll talk about what a reconciliation bill is here in just a second, but uh, other provisions, you know, on the spending side that are you know to clean clean energy, uh, a lot of social programs. I think community college, you know, universal community college and and pre K and and things like that. That you know, there are definitely some probably good things. Or there are some good things in this bill, um, but it's again, it's when you get to the nitty gritty and you get to the fine details where the troublesome provisions uh, come in and, and really affect. I think have much far reaching impact than, than they think that. That, that was really intended to. Exactly. And some of the things that we really want to try to make sure people understand is that a lot of kind of the news headlines are kind of pointing to, you know, outlawing these mega huge Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs that you hear about, uh, you know, people talking about having, you know, billion dollar IRAs. And there's a provision in here that would essentially cap 
single individuals from having a $10 million IRA or a household from having over $20 million in IRAs. I think most people, you know, wouldn't necessarily agree or, or disagree with that being a bad thing. But the problem is, is that, you know, when you, when you read the text of this bill, or at least what they've put out to us so far, is that that's just kind of the, the catchphrase. There is some very troubling things that go on behind the scenes of that, and, and we're going to get into that now. So maybe explain to us why a reconciliation uh, bill is a little bit different from what people might have heard about before and why it's a little bit concerning with how this can get kind of rubber stamped and pushed through so quickly. Yeah, so just, I mean, a little bit of a kind of a political lesson here on how this works, and, and uh, apologize for your political uh Junkies, maybe I may not go in too much in depth uh, for you, but uh, you know a lot of a lot of bills that go before Congress um, when they're just general spending bills might have to pass with, you know, beyond a simple majority. That's when you, you hear people talk about the filibuster rules and, and the ability for a, 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 the minority party to actually block certain legislation, um, and, and that happens, right? There's a lot of times when they need bipartisan support because they have to reach, say, a 60 vote threshold in the Senate. Uh, with reconciliation bills, though, and, and this the, this agenda and act we're talking about is a reconciliation bill, the majority, it can pass with a simple majority so long as with reconciliation that the taxes that are going to be raised by the bill, right? So we're talking about the, the raising corporate tax rates and income tax uh, rises and things like that, as long as those taxes that are raised from the bill pay for all of the programs that are the, all the spending in the bill in a sense, it's a net spend of zero. I mean, I know that's obviously we know that's not going to ultimately be what happens, but if they can make it look that way on paper and and have the numbers, that's why a simple majority can pass it. So that's where you don't need the help uh, of my of a minority party, right? It can just go straight through um, as long as the net spend is zero, and that's the danger in this particular bill uh, is with one party controlling both houses. Uh, of Congress, as well as the presidency, they don't need help from the other side to make this bill go through. Exactly. And what we want to make sure people understand is that we, we aim as best as we can to stay very apolitical here at Advanta. What we're really kind of championing here is just the, the context of this bill, you know, how it affects you as the taxpayer, not necessarily getting into the background of, you know, which party brought it to fruition, you know, how it's being debated, is to explain to you that there's a very real chance that a lot of the laws regulating your personal retirement can and probably have a high degree of, of having some legislation passed that might change that. So let's get into some of the actual provisions. The one that I think a lot of people are kind of bringing up is the provision, and I'll read off the, the name of it, but it's uh, section 138.312, a prohibition of IRA investments conditioned on account holder status. Now, when they're talking about account holder status in the context of this section, they're talking about being an accredited investor. So for many years, to be an accredited investor meant that you had to have certain thresholds of wealth, be it the amount of income that you made as a single individual or a household, a trust with a certain amount of assets, a corporation with a certain amount of revenues. So essentially what it did was try to help mitigate the risk of normal uh, you know, John and Jane Doe from being involved in extremely risky investments, investments that hadn't been qualified to be exchanged on the New York Stock Exchange or a publicly traded securities exchange regulated by the SEC. Now, a lot of people kind of view this as, you know, a closed door to people being able to invest in, you know, very, very lucrative investments. But in reality, it was it was meant to kind of shield people from some some danger. But the problem is, is that the extreme wealth that 
these people were defined as back when the rules were initially written in the 80s has significantly dwindled. We now have many more people that are able to invest into things that they see fit as a good as a good fit for them. And this is not just, you know, a risky startup company. These are limited partnerships. These are, you know, apartment buildings. These are all sorts of different things that are, you know, defined as private placements. Now, maybe if you want to dig into that a little bit further, Scott, you know, what, you know, I, I said, you know, a few different types of investments, but maybe dig a little deeper into, you know, what this might mean for an individual. Cause we're not just talking about, you know, Uber before it went public. It, it definitely trickles down to a lot more specific investments, right? Right. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of our clients and certainly a lot of people out there who self-direct these, these are what they want to put their money into. It, it's, you know, like I said, apartment buildings, it's multifamily syndications, it's private investment funds, uh, it's startup companies where, you know, the barrier to entry is that accredited investor status. And as you mentioned, Alex, it's something that, you know, I think uh, I read an article that when they first introduced accredited investor standards, it, it only encompassed, you know, less than 2% of the, the population. Uh, since it has never been indexed for inflation and, and obviously the, the growth in the economy, it's now over 13% uh, mm -hmm. of our population qualifies as a, an accredited investor. And you, furthermore, there's been changes in the last few years to the SEC rules that actually to allow more people uh, to be an accredited investor. So it's really, in, in a sense, the movement has been towards allowing the average, more, more quote, average Joes and Janes to be able to access these types of investments and into startups and into multifamily and actually have more access to those investments that the, you know, quote, mega rich or rich have, have you know, presumably been investing in all along. So it, it's one of the interesting things with this provision in not allowing, uh, you know, people to use their IRAs to invest in this particular investment. Um, you're cutting off a lot of the the people who are are taking advantage of this and maybe haven't had access before. And I think, you know, from our experience with a lot of our clients, you know, people who are either just becoming accredited or right there, um, but they're not rich per se. They're not they don't have you know millions and billions of dollars, but they have you know a nice nest egg that they built up. A lot of the money that they have to take advantage of these particular investments is in their IRAs or in their old 401ks, and you're simply cutting off those people. Uh, from doing it. So the effect on the actual self-directed IRA owner is simply going to be limited, more limited options uh, instead of actually opening up more options uh, for them to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. And the other really kind of very troubling portion of this section, particularly, is that, you know, all well and good that they want to prohibit this from being done, but they go even further than that and say that these assets have to be fully divested from IRAs within two years, beginning after December 31st of 2021 which is just a, a, an administrative nightmare for not only the investment that maybe had taken in IRA monies you know, completely above board and done everything correctly, and the IRA administrators and custodians of how to you know, administer these types of, of, of changes. You know, you're going to have people getting hit with humongous amounts of taxes because they had done something correctly. And now we're being told that you know, after the fact that the government changed their mind on the allowance of this within this type of tax shelter, and now they have to take it out. So you know, you're not necessarily penalizing the mega rich as you know, maybe the intent was here to try to level the playing field a bit. You know, This boils down to people that make $250,000 a year. And if you live in midtown Manhattan or uh, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, that is that is not an extremely rich person. You know, that is that is someone that is living right in the middle of the middle class. Now, granted, those people might be, you know, much wealthier in other places, but it's not across the board that this is taking, you know, these these are not billionaires that this is going to affect. This is, you know, significantly right in the middle of 
you know, some parts of middle America that this can actually affect. Yeah. And, and, and the issue again, it's you, you, anyone who's currently holding one of these types of investments in their IRA account and their, you know, accredited investors, you have to get rid of it within two year period of time. So either going to have to hope, you know, Best case scenario, you you are invested in a partnership that has the liquidity to simply maybe pay your IRA off and, and buy you out, or can place you with another investor, a, sub, a substitute investor, and you're able to get your cash back. Um, but even that scenario, you know, if, if another investor is coming in to take your position and relieve you of that, are they going to give you full value? You know, if I've invested $100,000 into a partnership and I need to get out of this without having tax consequences... Um, somebody may come to me and say, well, yeah, I'll give you 70 grand for it, you know, to help, help you out. But, um, so I'm, I'm still losing in, in that investment. I think that's certainly part of the problem. So either I have to sell, um, so as me, as the IRA owner, that's going to, you know, I'm at the mercy of other people or at worst case, like I said, I have to distribute it. And right. And if I'm under 59 and a half, that's taxes and penalties, uh, for regular IRA investments. So, uh, you know, I think that's, again, that's, that's a key thing in the legislation, um, you know, obviously we want all the, all of the provisions in this legislation to, to get out, but that's going to be, certainly hit people the hardest who are already invested. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just one of those things where just looking at that part of the bill just boggles the mind, at least from our professional side of things of looking at, you know, how would you even implement this? It just, there's, there's so many questions that revolve around it and hopefully, these kind of questions will be brought up when there's some debate on this and, you know, people, you know, calmer heads will prevail and we'll see some of this removed. But again, this is why it's important for people to make their voices heard, contact your senators, contact your representatives. We will be sending out uh, the, the kind of rubber stamp letter that addresses a lot of these things. You know, you can certainly use that. Feel free to type one up yourself and send it to them. But, you know, we need to make our voices heard on some of these things in order for the representatives to know it's even an issue. Because when we're talking about the better part of three and a half trillion dollars of spending, this is, you know, this is footnotes within this text of this bill. This is going to be thousands of pages of legislation that are going to be produced hopefully as soon as possible so we can actually get this because we're still looking at ways and means notes of this you know we're not seeing full text of these bills now let's move on to another one and i think this one might have specific interest at least to a lot of even non-accredited investors because it gets into what a lot of people like to term checkbook iras or using single member llcs or trust entities to invest in certain investments, mainly simply just for administrative reasons, for no other reason than just it makes it easier for them to administer the assets of their accounts. We see many people from accounts ranging from $50,000, $200,000 utilizing these types of, of structures. So maybe, Scott, give us the 30,000-foot view of what uh, 138.314 is. Yeah, so 138.314 is really, like you said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent people from acting. If, you know, if, if it's your IRA invested into the entity, you, can have, uh, you, know, you can't be on the board of directors, you can't be a manager um, of the entity. As you said, the, the, the big impact to a lot of people, as you mentioned, who are not accredited, right? So we're not, now we're not, we, the first section we're talking about, we're talking about people who are purportedly, you know, quote unquote, rich or whatnot, who are accredited investors. Now we're talking about people who are not accredited investors, who, as you said, they set up this LLC for their IRA to invest in, to buy rental properties, right? Or to, to make private loans out of company, things that are not within the scope of this bill. And being the manager of the entity just simply makes it more, it makes it easier for them to, to do it. So this provision would eliminate uh, the ability for you to act as manager of your own LLC. So again, a lot of people out there who are just sitting idly by, 
investing in rental properties, investing in other alternative assets using this structure are now going to be affected by this bill. And again, uh, the impetus behind this, and we'll, we'll talk more about it maybe at the end, is you know the the, the billion dollar IRAs out there where, where there was some potential self dealing and some other issues. But um, this is you know to me it, it's casting way too wide a net. You know if you were if you were fishing. For a particular kind of fish, but you cast a net that, that covers half the Atlantic Ocean, right? You're going to get a lot of other things in there than just the, the little little bit that you're actually shooting for. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be the the effect on our clients and certainly people who have checkbook control. Um, you know, we don't know yet again how this provision is written. If it's going to be a a requirement again that you divest yourself of that particular asset. Uh, best case scenario, could you possibly choose somebody else to act as the manager uh, and remove yourself? I mean, that might be possible. It might be an, hopefully an easy solution if this provision does indeed pass, which of course we hope it doesn't. Um, but then again, now you know, if, if you're doing a checkbook control and now you're giving managerial control to somebody who you know, is not uh, is not you, and it's going to make it more difficult. Exactly, and you know, really, where does <clears throat> where does this kind of litmus test start and end because really what's the difference if someone has, let's say a brokerage account with, you know, pick, pick whichever big brokerage house you are and they're picking stocks to trade on a daily basis. They're clicking buy, sell, creating orders. Uh, you know, really what's the difference in that and in using a special purpose entity like that. And we've seen the tax court examine this and, you know, in different aspects you know, they haven't maybe examined it specifically. They've been looking at other aspects of a particular case, but they have, in many instances, cited with the fact of the ability of an IRA owner to act as strictly a manager in a non-fiduciary capacity to their IRA investment. So, yeah, I mean, and that it's it's an end around the tax court, right? I mean, we as you're talking about, the tax court has heard these cases, and you know, non-political <laughs> tax court making decisions uh, in cases, and certain people not liking the results. So, therefore, we're just gonna make an end around around it. So that's, you know, exactly. And, and let's kind of get into some of the effects here. So getting back to 138.312, it's, it's one of those things where it has really far reaching uh, implications, not just from a taxable standpoint, but just from a market standpoint, because the ability of people to raise capital is, you know, paramount to the success of many of these small investment firms, you know, people that want to invest and make communities better that want to buy the, you know, B or C apartment complex and turn it into an A property, the ability of them to market and solicit to uh, solicit to investors and their retirement plans is huge. Uh, what it last, what, what was the last look at the total retirement plan assets in the United States? How many trillions of dollars? Oh. 20 something, yeah, right? like 27, trillion, 27 trillion dollars of retirement plan assets. And now this bill effectively would just remove that whole chunk of the marketplace from them for them to only look towards things like traditional financing, forcing them back into traditional banking relationships, forcing them back into uh, more, <clears throat> more narrow scopes of being able to raise capital. And one of the things that you know, people may not realize, and again, our job is to kind of maybe enlighten people a little bit is that the tax benefits, even to personal people, you know, you're not, you're not making this, you know, great tax loophole go away for the super rich, but limited partnership investments, especially into large commercial properties, don't normally have a lot of taxes associated with them because of all the losses, because of things like cost segregation and depreciation that is passed through to the ultimate end investor. Even a personal investor with, you know, relatively straightforward tax planning can mitigate a lot of the taxes doing it outside of that anyway. So again, kind of a seem, seemingly a moot point from the aspect of 
you know, maybe leveling the playing field or keeping people, especially the super rich from being able to, you know, only invest in these kind of cherry pick type of things. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, that drives it home too, again, Alex, is the fact that, you know, if somebody's looking to raise capital, I mean, it kind of depends maybe where you are on that capital raising spectrum, right? You have people who probably have no problem. Anytime they put an offering out there, have so many connections, uh, you know, it's, it may not affect them as much, right? Cause they can get the money from wherever they don't have to rely on, on, on just IRA investors. But for a lot of people either getting started or kind of in that middle ground where when you're looking to raise capital and you're talking to average folks, you're not going to big investment firms and investment banks for your money. And you're talking to average people that want to take advantage of your investment. Again, they may have the bulk of their funds to invest with you sitting in that IRA, sitting in that old 401k. And, and that's why they're choosing to use that money. That's where their, their funds are located. And obviously you as a capital raiser, you'll, you'll take it kind of from anywhere you get. Um, and cutting off the IRAs uh, from being a part of that conversation is really going to hurt those people, like I said, getting, getting started, maybe they've been going for a little while, but they haven't reached that status yet where they can just go to an investment bank and, and request a, a check for millions of dollars. Um, it's going to hurt them. And it's, and by hurting them, you're hurting the people that work for them. You're hurting the you know, startup companies that are trying to uh, you know, innovate and, and create new products and new services and looking to raise capital for that. Uh, it's going to have much far reaching effects, I think, than, than certainly has been uh, maybe intended in the bill and certainly maybe even you know, speculated at all to, to this point. So uh, as you mentioned, a lot of the invest, some of the investors um, who are already in that, that mega rich category, they're going to be able to take advantage of these investments anyway. So it's not really going to affect them. It's affecting the average person to have access to these types of investments. And then again, the people who are taking that capital in, uh, I, I think are going to, they're going to see a loss in the, in the potential toolbox that they have to, to raise capital for their off, yeah, upcoming you're, investments. You're really kind of reducing, you know, and I hate to kind of be hyperbolic, but you're reducing the freedom of, of the investor to make an informed decision. You know, investing in the stock market is not the best fit for everyone. You know, if someone doesn't understand it, you know, giving them the option to invest in alternative assets, which is what we've done here at Advanta since the early 2000s, you know, it's, it's a good fit. And it's important that these kind of options are out there for people, because if you are just you know, kind of forced into doing something you don't understand, you can't, you're not as informative as an investor. It's just going to be a harder, harder uphill battle for you. But if you understand things like real estate and, you know, private investing or something specific that you want to do, the ability and the freedom for you to do that is, is really important for, you know, the average taxpayer to help, you know, prop up their position for retirement. So, you know, just kind of on that note, we'll kind of transition a little bit onto some of the slightly more speculative aspects of this, we, we have seen people out there talking about, well, will this extend into 401ks? You know, we don't know right now. Again, we're still just going on the, the general cliff notes, if you will, that have been put out to us. So it would, it would go to think that they're talking about IRAs. They might extend this to the broader scope of retirement plans. But scaling back, I mean, just the administrative aspect, you know, it's hard enough to say, hey, an individual IRA investor, could you imagine, you know, extending this into, you know, a large 401k plan that maybe has private holdings in it? So, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to see where they draw these lines. Yeah. And it's the interesting thing, again, kind of taking a step back from it, too. If, if the goal of some of these provisions is to, uh, you know, pr prevent certain individuals, certain rich individuals or whatever from taking advantage of this or through, through IRA accounts, you know, a, a lot of, and definitely not, not making any judgments, but you know, there are a lot of doctors, attorneys, uh, you know, physicians or who have their own defined benefit plans and have their own solo 401k plans uh, with, with you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. And 
if those types of you know, plans, the defined benefit plans and the, and the qualified plans are not included, then you're not, again, not hurting the individuals who you're really seeking to prevent from taking advantage of it. So, I mean, it's kind of just goes back again to our, one of our main points is just very poorly drafted, poorly thought out uh, provision uh, uh, in the bill. Yeah, and, you know, will they, will they include solo 401ks, you know, people who are small business owners, people who are entrepreneurs, uh, will that be included in the final bill? We don't know. We haven't seen even a draft of the bill yet uh, at this time. Yeah, exactly. And and another part about this whole reconciliation bill, it is tied to the other infrastructure bill out there as well. So, you know, a lot of things that, you know, these, these all things, the all of these things being tied together is really unfortunate because it makes it harder for your politicians that are advocating on your behalf to negotiate. If everything is tied up in one bill, it's harder to say, oh, well, we don't like this one bill or this, that, this, that, or the other thing because, oh, well, it might be tied to a huge, uh, you know, a part of the bill that's going to create millions of jobs or millions of lots of jobs in your district. So, you know, what's the weight and the benefit you can't necessarily advocate for all of the best things for your constituency. Yeah. And I think as we, yeah, the political speculation, I mean, it's, you know, there are two separate bills, so it's, it's not, you know, passing one passes the other, but there are, you know, politicians out there that are, are tying their votes to both bills uh, as it is. And so they're making it difficult. There's, there's another infrastructure bill that has bipartisan support uh, that has already passed the Senate. It's simply waiting for the House to pass uh, that particular bill. Um, but there are, there are certain individuals that are saying they refuse to, to vote on that bill uh, unless this, this particular $3.5 trillion bill uh, is agreed to without, uh, without changes. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, there are definitely a lot of uh, more moderates um, in the different caucuses with the senators and representatives who have thrown up a lot of objections to uh, the size of this bill and have come out and so far, so far, at least said they're not going to vote for it at that current price tag. So I think, again, the, the key thing to watch for, for us and certainly for, for the self-directed investors is what's going what's to be the timing of it? You know, is it going to pass in its entirety? Highly doubtful uh, that it would pass at the three and a half trillion. I think that's almost a given that it won't pass. But will it pass at a much lower number? And if it does, you know, th- certain things are going to be cut, removed from the bill to get that price tag down. Um, this obviously is a provision that that we'd want to see see removed. And the ironic thing, I don't know if we really mentioned it so far. You know, when you talk about raising the the corporate tax rate and, and raising you know income tax rates, you know, and raising the higher tax brackets, um, that's where the bulk of the spending, you know, bulk of the tax is going to be coming in from this bill. Uh, these particular provisions. With the these two provisions we're talking about are expected to raise less than two billion in taxes on a three and a half trillion dollar bill. So it's less than one percent of the taxes raised is coming from these provisions. So it's it's not even a drop in the bucket, right? It's it's so little uh, of the overall bill. Um, So it'll be curious as they start to cut the three and a half trillion, what gets cut um, to get that bill down? Um, You know, certainly we're we're hoping and, and. I wouldn't know if we're expecting it yet, but I'm really hoping that there's going to be enough outcry and pushback um, because, again, this, this, these provisions of the bill are reaching far beyond, I think, who, who they're intending to, to punish or rein in. Um, you know, we think, you know, our, from what we've heard, uh, a lot of the reasoning behind this bill are the billion-dollar IRAs. There's a gentleman named the name of Peter Thiel. Many of you may be familiar with him who, who owns PayPal and started PayPal and, and, and built billions of dollars of wealth inside his Roth IRA from investing in his own PayPal stock. Um, and he's, he's a little bit of a nemesis to some, <laughs> some political parties and political figures that uh, ruffled some feathers. And, and part of these bills, and I think the provision, Alex, you mentioned on the capping 
of the total value in IRAs is, is certainly directed at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of these provisions as well, though, are, are, are in that same vein. And, and you know, Mitt Romney uh, has, you know, a 70 plus million dollar IRA as well. And there's, you know, the, the, the founders of Google are in that same boat. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what they're going after, but they're catch, they're catching way too many people in this net. Yeah, and and also, you know, keep in mind that there's also part of these tax bills we didn't even get into because uh, it doesn't, you know, it's not super central to self-directed, but there's also changes to Roth conversion rules and a lot of other things. So it's it's very important to understand that you know if this is kind of giving an inch and 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 people are going to take a mile when they start legislating, you know, the types of allowable assets within these types of plans, there, keep in mind, there's already rules on self-dealing. Uh, you know, granted the Peter Thiel's, you know, I would be, be interested to see if the IRS, you know, did an audit and examination, if there wasn't, you know, some issues with how those shares were acquired, but the IRS already has rules on self-dealing, on selling IRA asset, selling personal assets to IRAs. And these types of rules have been in place since the seventies on, you know, what types of allowable investments are. And by intentionally leaving it vague, they have allowed for people to create fantastic nest eggs for themselves that help reduce the burden on things like social security and retirement. And, you know, now starting to have the government start, take some of these things back. It's, it's kind of frightening to see where, where these things might go. So just keep in mind that although, you know, we don't have time to kind of go through every provision of what we've seen from the ways and means on just the finance side of things, there's things that are, you know, being tacked on here that are extremely troubling that, you know, given, you know, a little bit more detailed look, which you can find on advantaira.com, we have, you know, a little bit more detailed analysis on some other stuff. Uh, we also are sending out a, a letter that you can send to your representatives and senators of, of being a call to action on trying to have some of these things, you know, removed or debated more. So keep in mind that, you know, the action and the, the responsibility is now kind of placed on us as the investors to say, hey, you know, this is not in our best interest and in letting our representatives know uh, you know, past that, is there anything else that you would recommend people, you know, get out there and do to try to bring attention to this? Yeah. I mean, I know, I think that's, I mean, ever since our founding of our country, right. If you're unhappy, <laughs> contact your representatives, contact your senators. They, they are there uh, supposed to listen to us. And, you know, I'm sure at times that doesn't happen. Um, I don't want to be naive about that, but I do think that, you know, one thing they do care about is keeping their jobs being reelected um, if you're someone who is in a, in a district where somebody might be up for re-election, obviously the representatives are always up, but people who face a tougher battle, um, they're going to be more um, likely to listen. And I think that they, I think they do. And I think if enough people continue to um, contact them regarding it, it's, it sounds, like I said, it sounds a little silly and naive. I would just write your congressman. I, I think it works. If enough people are doing it, um, you know, I look at it from the perspective too. If you, if you think of a larger issue of say the, the raise in, in corporate tax rates, um, I'm sure the Congress people are getting emails and correspondence from people who say, leave that corporate tax rate, tax rate alone. It's, it's, it's already, it already needs, it's already that where it needs to be. And they're getting other letters that say, raise it higher. Right. So they're hearing from both sides of the aisle on some of these issues yeah. uh, and from their constituents on this particular provision. I don't think they're going to get very much at all of people saying, yes, please keep these provisions, please increase the, you know, let's make it a little broader than it already is. Um, that's not going to happen. So I think the power of the people to actually say, Hey, these provisions, not fair, far reaching. Um, you're not even accomplishing the goals. So quote unquote, of what you're trying to accomplish with this, this particular bill. 
So I think writing writing those people, telling your friends and neighbors, thinking, even if you think that, you know, I'm not an accredited investor, I don't have a checkbook LLC, why should I care? If you're a self-directed investor or you're someone raising capital, there's no, that we don't know where this goes from here. If this passes, what is the next bill going to include that does include you? And because you didn't speak up and, and make your voice known on this to kind of stop them in the tracks now, what's going to come in the future? And that's, it's not really a fear tactic. That's the, that's a concern obviously is, is, you know, where, if, if they, if they have a problem with self-directed assets and this is their first salvo. And then after that, they see what they get and move on. Exactly. Um, it could, it could be your account that's in jeopardy. And and this just pushes everyone back. You know, it's, it's funneling everyone back into stock markets, you know, that's, and, and again, it, that kind of, going back to what I said earlier, if you don't understand it, you know, maybe it's not the best fit for you. And we just saw on Monday, we had the Dow fall 800 points having its worst day since October of last year, predicated largely on a Chinese real estate investment firm not making its loan payment. So, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're being exposed to, to risk and market fluctuations like that. So just keep that in mind that, you know, uh, you know, we have the ability to do things, contact your representatives, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. You know, anyone here at Advanta is always happy to answer questions. We've been, you know, fielding calls constantly since this stuff came out. So, you know, we're here to help, you know, get you the good information that you need to make informed decisions and, and try to help you on the right path. So thanks everyone for joining us today on this special edition of the Alternative Investing Podcast. Thanks, Scott, for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Alex. Happy to get the word out on this. And yeah, I'd go beyond Contact your reps, contact your centers, tell your friends, tell your family to do the same thing. The more, the better. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies. Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.